to Sonic Stories, the show where music, human performance, and life intersect and are shared through personal stories. My name is Benny Collins, and on this show, I invite a guest to choose three songs that have shaped their life in one way or another, and to share the stories behind these songs and the meaning that they hold for them. Outside of this podcast, I work in the field of sport and performance psychology, as well as for a financial technology company. And the fun fact, interesting tidbit of knowledge I'd like to share on this episode is actually a reference to another podcast, and specifically to a very certain episode. Um, I feel like some of the listeners of this may be aware of Dr. Andrew Huberman, who is a professor at Stanford, but does a lot of different work out in the community in neuroscience and other areas. Um, but he has a podcast called The Huberman Lab. And just a few days ago, he put out this incredible episode called How to Use Music to Boost Motivation, Mood, and Improve Learning. So I'll say the title again in case you want to check it out. I listened to half of it, so I need to get through the rest of it, but it's incredible. The episode is called How to Use Music to Boost Motivation, Mood, and Improve Learning. I fully recommend if you have the time in the next few days to just dedicate some time to that. A lot of the things that he shares in his episode uh, alongside just a lot of really outstanding research by um, people that are his peers is just talking a lot about the things that I was very curious about when investigating and just kind of uh, forming the solid idea for this podcast. You know, at the very top of the episode, I always say that this is a show where music, human performance, and life intersect. And he speaks to so many different areas about how music impacts our physical health, um, our physiology, things like HRV, our heart rate variability, our blood pressure, um, our mood, the way we think, our energy, our stamina, motivation, obviously. So I can't say it enough. Incredible podcast, but also just a really, really good episode that perfectly syncs up with some of the contents and just the, the premise of this. And so... That's my quick recommendation. But outside of that, um, I'm still in an affiliated partnership with a great company called Mudwater. Mudwater is a coffee alternative that has all the all the pros of coffee and virtually none of the cons. It has organic ingredients to improve mental and physical performance, minimize your mood swings, while also improving your physical stamina, immunity, and overall health. It contains ingredients such as masala chai, cacao, and a blend of four medicinal mushrooms such as lion's mane, cordyceps, chaga, and reishi, and other simple spices that you probably have in your kitchen right now like cinnamon, turmeric, and Himalayan sea salt. And for me, I love coffee. I've always been a daily drinker um, and still am, but I've just balanced it out with mud water. So instead of starting my day with coffee, I'm starting it with mud water. And typically there's a little bit of the, the sediment powder left. And then I'll top off that cup with some coffee. And it has this really nice earthy blend that tastes amazing, but um, it's just a much better way for me to, to start the day as far as energy, my focus, my memory, I can definitely tell the difference. And so it's been an amazing change to my morning ritual, without a doubt. Um, outside of all that, it's just a great company, too. They donate to MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies to support psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy for those that are suffering from depression, PTSD, addiction, and suicidal ideation. And after doing some research on their company and on top of just enjoying the, the product itself, it was a no-brainer to team up with them. And so if you'd like to give Mudwater a try, there's a link in the show notes of this episode that'll take you directly to the website where you can place an order. And now onto this episode's guest. This week, I'm joined by Mr. Alan Loeb. Alan is a writer and producer from Highland Park, Illinois. He attended Ithaca College in New York from 1988 to 1992. He relocated to Los Angeles in 93 to pursue a career in screenwriting. After over 10 years of struggle and rejection, 
Allen broke through with the script The Only Living Boy in New York in 2004. Since then, he's been working nonstop as a screenwriter and producer. As a script doctor, he's written on over 40 studio movies and six television pilots for every major studio and television network. He's represented by William Morris Endeavor. Allen's writing credits include Things We Lost in the Fire with Halle Berry and Benicio Del Toro, 21 with Kevin Spacey and Kate Bosworth, The Switch with Jason Bateman and Jennifer Aniston, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, directed by Oliver Stone, The Dilemma, directed by Ron Howard, Just Go With It with Adam Sandler and Nicole Kidman, Rock of Ages with Tom Cruise and Russell Brand, The Space Between Us with Gary Oldman, Here Comes the Boom with Kevin James, Collateral Beauty with Will Smith, and finally, The Only Living Boy in New York with Jeff Bridges. And so this episode was extra special in a couple of different ways. First off, Alan is kind of a, a newcomer to my life in a way. He is the uncle of my fiance. And so on a familial aspect, it was very interesting to get to know him as I'm getting to know his family and becoming part of their family next year when my partner and I get married. And so for, from that side of things, it was just super interesting and cool just to learn about this guy who is going to be, I'm going to be in that family, like I said. So I'm just very curious about him, his upbringing, the, the work that he does in this conversation and what he brought in terms of the stories was incredible. It was so much fun for me. I feel like I could have just sat for an extra 30 minutes beyond the amount of time that we spoke and just listened to him with the stories and his perspectives and the way that he uses language to kind of fill out and color the stories that he shared. So it was really really awesome. So I really tip my cap and appreciated him for taking the time to to do it. So it was, it was a blast. So um, that's all I've got. Without further ado, here's Alan. Alan, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for taking the time. It's my pleasure. You sent me your three songs, listen to them went through them several times each, uh, read all the content, the materials you shared with me. So thank you again for that. How difficult was this process to get it down to three? It's, it was very difficult because I, I, I love music. I listen to a lot of music. I have a large catalog of music in my repertoire of uh, life, whether it's at the gym, working out, reading, writing, driving. You know, I've got my can my playlist? I may have a record though with with you and your podcast for the longest songs. I mean, my songs are not short. Correct, which <laughs> I love. Which I love, by the way. So one interesting thing um, that I kind of discovered in this process: a, I learned more about you, which was great. But b, I learned that you and I have some similar interests and tastes in in some music. Oh, cool! I didn't know that. I'm dying to what you thought of these songs at some point too for sure you know? yeah. i mean i don't know if you were familiar with them or not i am familiar with uh two of the three artists okay um the final song you chose which we'll get to that when we get to that that song was also already on a previous episode with a different guest but wow but they chose a different live performance of it so we'll talk about that which will be cool okay I'm I'm excited so let's let's get into it so the first one we'll just go kind of right in order of what you sent to me sure um, first song is are you going with me by uh pat metheny this was originally on his 1982 album but the version you sent me specifically was his double live album the following year in 83 for travels and this was the very oh. first track that opened up the show so let's think about just the show for a moment and then I, then i want you to take us kind of into your world with this song imagine you're at this 1983 show this is how it opens what's your gut reaction 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, well, to start off, I think Travels is somewhat of a, for people who are obviously Pat Metheny fans, if not jazz fans, it's a seminal album. It's a seminal live album. Also, it's also very well known in the world of recording because for a live album, it was recorded brilliantly. I mean, it's so crystal clear. You barely know you're listening to a live show. Uh, save for the audience, you wouldn't know. It almost, it's almost of a studio quality. It's a gorgeous show. So for me, uh, that album, double album, I believe I started listening to it just a few years, study how old I am, just a few years after it had come out. So I think I found it in maybe 86 or 87, uh, high school, the end of high school. Um, it's been a staple in my life. It's, it's one of the most, uh, my most favorite uh, albums. I guess we call them albums now. I'm in mean, everything digital, so it's it's. I, I listen to it on Spotify, but it's, we can still call them albums. And I guess album is a term because of a circle. No record. What what is album? What is an album? Uh, for me, so I'm in the same boat as you. I would definitely call a collection of songs, as we see them on Spotify or wherever, whatever platform, an album. is an album. It's a collection of songs, and oftentimes with you know art in general, specifically with music it seems that a lot of artists choose a very particular order for their for their album as far as the songs go if it was you know if they just kind of slapped it together you know some i'll say some artists do that let's not let's not you know poo 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 on the artists that just put their songs together that's fine but i think there definitely is something to said for folks that curate the order of the songs that they put together and you know it's like writing a book with chapters in order as opposed to just chapters out of order is kind of how i look right. at it Right, and but then in, in, in the case of a double live, you are a slave to the uh, choices of the set list of that evening, um, mm-hmm. which which may have been just as intentional. And you're talking about almost a narrative version, storyteller's version of an album. Uh, the order is important, and I'm mm-hmm. sure the set lists are important for anybody you know playing live. Um, it, it yeah. So for for travels. There are many pieces, many of them bombastic and, and, and pretty discordant, uh, not really discordant, but a little all over the place and, and wheel unwieldy. And then others just beautiful and melodic. I think Are You Going With Me, which opens the show and opens the album, is a little bit of everything, but it's, 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 it's a symphony, really. It, it, and it climaxes in the most brilliant way. And it really highlights Pat Messini's guitar, his synth guitar. Um, he comes in there. I mean, it's, it's got this dirge to it. It's got this march to it. It's also very sexy, and I and 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 I've used that. You could do a whole podcast on what what music people have sex to, um, <laughs> and and I would say, are you going with me? Is up there along with Peter uh, Peter Gabriel's Passions of Christ soundtrack to the Scorsese. Um, so maybe I'm just having really really intense and creepy sex, but um, <laughs> but, but it is a, a Rebel's Bolero. I mean, just to go off on the tangent of sex songs, Rebel's Bolero from you know, immortalized in, in the movie 10. Um, but similar to Ravel's Bolero, uh, Are You Going With Me starts out slow. It starts out methodical. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a bit of a march. It's, it's, it's cool. And you're kind of watching and wondering where it's going. And then Matheny comes in somewhat late, maybe, I don't know, two minutes into the piece. I don't even know. And you start to hear his guitar and it just takes it. And it just takes the piece into just a, a climax and in 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 it's 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 an anthem you know of building of building velocity it's it's just incredibly compelling um and i don't think any other piece any other song in uh travel is like that it's it's really it could be the last song of the show 
And you know, you never know. They may have changed the order for the album. That may not have been the order of the concert. I'm not sure. But um, for whatever reason, they may have taken the tracks and, and sliced and diced them. But uh, for, for Are You Going With Me, it's just, it is, it is my, uh, it's my favorite track on the double live, and I love every track on that double live. It, to me, should be the last one because it's the most climactic. It's the most dramatic. It takes a minute to get there in, 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 a, symfa- in, 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 in a symphony style way. Um, it's incredibly sexy. I think it's an incredibly sexy piece. Um, uh, and Matheny's synth guitar and his talent, his raw talent, is just is, 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 you know, just unfathomably on display in this piece. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think when his guitar comes alive, you know, like you said, and as I had heard, it's a synth guitar and um, there are moments where it kind of blends and like, is this just a synthesizer? And then you're sometimes... It sounds like a synthesizer. It sounds yeah, like a keyboard. It's, it's really good pedal work. It's really good pedal work with his guitar. And so there are moments when he starts to bend some of the notes and just add certain articulation to the way that he plays. And I was like, holy shit, like this, <laughs> yeah. this guy is just wailing. Like when he gets higher up on his fretboard, he's just wailing. And it's just like, I agree with you. There's so much punctuation to it that it very easily could have been the last show or the last song on the show, without a doubt. And there are two two quick stories I want to say about this piece. Um, Please. It's, we- it's well known, I would think, in the world of jazz aficionados and obviously in the world of Pat Metheny fans. And, and Metheny's a pretty pretty accomplished and well-known jazz musician. I mean, there are others, but he's pretty well-known. Mm-hmm. But in the world of the world that I live in, it's a, I, especially in 2023, I'd say, I don't know, maybe less than 2% of the people I know who know who he is or have ever heard of him, really. Yeah. Um, um, which is just, so it's kind of special. It's a little obscure in, 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 in the popular vein, I would say. And I will tell you the story I wrote to you because I'll never forget it. I was just in New York and I was in a subway, 42nd subway station walking and there was this busker band, like three or four guys, one playing a synthesizer, one playing the drums. And they had the guitar uh, case in front of them. People were throwing in money and they were wailing. They were, they were loud and they were good. And I immediately heard those first few kind of notes, uh, beckoning notes to kind of slow march into, are you going with me? And I was just like, Oh man, this is my jam. This is me. This is my thing. This is my yeah. blood. And so I sat there and I just watched. I almost had tears in my eyes. And I I threw a twenty in the guitar case. And I kind of I just will never forget. I caught I caught the look of this guy next to me, and he had the same look. And he just he just kind of looked at me. He goes, "Are you going with me?" Like a nod. And I'm like, "Dude, we know. Yeah, this is special." Like, and it just touched me. And this might have been twelve, fifteen years ago. Yeah. I'll never forget it. It was just a moment. And then my second story is I was um in Silver Lake, LA, and I went into a cheese shop, wine cheese shop, and uh, are you going with me off travels playing? And I was just like, oh man, because <laughs> this is uncommon. It's not a common thing. Correct. And, and I smiled and I said to the guy, the, the gay guy behind the counter that owned the wine shop, I'm like, Pat Matheny. He's like, oh yeah. I'm like, travels. He's like, oh yeah. I'm like, are you <laughs> going with me? He's like, yeah. I'm like, is this one of your favorite songs in the planet? He's like, yes, it is. And I go, I grew up on this song. This song means more to me than almost anything I've ever, any artistic piece I've ever heard. And he looked at me like, obviously me too. Like, it was just <laughs> the two moments where you just connect on yeah. this thing, this 
Because if you know, you know. I mean, that's with that piece. That's just kind of. I don't know. Yeah. So it's not. It, I think. I think it holds for those who know and love Matheny or love this type of jazz or synth guitar. I think it's undeniable, and I think it's known. Yeah. It's incredible. And I think the one thing that I'm so interested and so excited about that you are sharing is how originally, early on, something you're listening to when you're in high school, 16, 17, 18 years old, that's when it kind of got on your radar, at least listening to the first time. But then decades later, you have these two separate stories, these two interactions with with strangers to you at that time. People yeah. don't even know. Yeah. Just happenstance, serendipitous interactions. But like you said, if you know, you know. And I, I think it's so fascinating that you can have this incredible long lasting experience in connection with the song by yourself, because music is very connecting, obviously, as we're talking about here. And just the fact that we're on this podcast, we're having this conversation, I'm looking you in the face over a screen, but I think it's, I think it's incredible that, you know, you can have such an incredible connection by yourself with this song. And then there's somebody else on the other side of the country that's doing the same damn thing at the same damn time as you. And then one day you guys bump into each other and just lock in. It's like, it's like, a, yeah, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. I, I also, think uh, I should note, I saw Pat Metheny live when I was about 22 years old at the mm -hmm. park West in Chicago. Uh, and it was a great show. And I don't, I don't remember if you played, are you going with me or not? Which I should. Uh, so I did see him live. And then another thing to note, just to throw in there, is uh, I'm a writer, so I write to music. And um, I go through stages. And if I'm writing a certain script or a certain thing, and um, a certain piece of music speaks to that and fuels that creativity, I'll listen to it more on a loop. And then I'll just go through some genre, different genres, depending on the genre of the thing I'm writing. Mm -hmm. And I kind of lost, for, for a few years, Matheny. And in the last two years, especially this thing I'm writing now, I've, I've rediscovered. And, I, you know, Travels is one of my go-tos on this thing I'm currently writing. So it's like I have this new mm. love affair, this uh, kind of new love affair with, with Pat's old work. Because there's like four or five of his other albums, which are just seminal to me. One called Watercolors, another one called Bright Sized Life, and then As Wichita Falls, So Falls Wichita Falls. I think I got that right. That is the mm. name of it. I'll say it again. I may be butchering it. As Wichita Falls. So falls Wichita Falls. If nice. you look it up, I think I just got that right. Um, well, and I will. and uh, yeah, and it's it's Wichita Falls, Kansas. I think it's it's what it's referring to. And there is a piece on that that was a contender for this podcast, which is the super. Are you looking it up? Did you find it? You nailed it. You nailed it. Oh my God! As Wichita Falls, so falls Wichita Falls. And what's the piece? Um, it's the piece with like twenty six minutes, and all the other pieces are like two minutes long. On oh. It. Yeah, quick correction. As falls Wichita, so falls oh, Wichita Falls. Fuck, I, I did not get it. Man. You're right there. You're right there. As as falls Wichita, so falls Wichita Falls. Got it. Is that Got correct? It. Got it. It's and, a, it's a that is a phenomenal album, by okay. the way. That I'll is, listen to that. If you if you if you dig Matheny, oh man, what's the really long piece on that album? The, the super long one. It's it's the title track. The very it's first the song. Track. It's the title track. Twenty minutes, forty two seconds beautiful that's sweet it's gorgeous i'm gonna yeah. go for a walk later and just listen to that one song i'm dying to hear and, what then, and then stop very different you. than very different than are you going with me? very okay. different yeah. um anyways uh so so i rediscovered and i've been re-listening the old Matheny's while i'm writing on this thing travels wichita falls 
Bright Size Life, Watercolors. Um, I think he's still touring. I think he's still around. I think he must be in his late 70s now. I'm going to guess. I don't know. I, I have not checked. Sure. We should check. Um, but uh, he's not dead. He's, not, he's out there. And he worked and he, he did some albums with a very famous jazz musician named Ornette Coleman. Uh, mm. But they were so discordant. I can't stand this. I don't like this tournament jazz. It's just, or classical music. It just, I don't get it. I really yeah. don't. Maybe there's a technical achievement in it people can appreciate, but discordant, like crazy discordant jazz and or classical music is just to me, noise, racketing noise. And maybe that's, I'm a Philistine uh, in that yeah. regard. But so the Ornette Coleman stuff Pat did was uh, too discordant for me. That's fair. That's fair. It's a taste thing. It's a taste thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm taking a quick look on his Spotify page. He is currently touring, um, but he has one single tour date on October 1st. Guess where it is? Chicago. At Talia Hall in Chicago. <laughs> October 1st. Holy, I'm Man. in. I'm in Chicago then. Are you actually? I'm going to the Bear Game. Yeah, I'm going to the Bear Game on October 2nd? No, October 1st. I think. Is it a Sunday? I think it's I'm going. Sunday, October 1st at 8 o'clock. Go from the Bears game to Pat McKinney. If you do, I'll meet you there. That'd oh, that's cool. something interesting. I'm going to be exhausted, though, rooting in the Bears all day. Yeah. Uh, wow, that is funny. That is okay for discussion. Yes. For discussion, Benny. We'll, we'll keep in touch on that. That'd be fun. That'd be super fun. But, but yeah, you know, it's as I've, you know, I guess uh, my quick take, my quick take, in, over the last few years, I've started playing bass guitar and along the way listening to jazz listening to funk listening to jazz fusion and, some, and sometimes world music too and so this is very fusiony and when i first heard it yeah. it's just it's mainly just kind of like a two chord progression um and i'm not going to get super um theoretical with it because there's a lot that i don't know there's some that i know but it's it's incredibly uh hypnotizing in the way that it kind of, like you said, it's marching. And I felt the same way. It's very hypnotizing. I kept on going to that same path. But then as soon as Pat enters in with his synth guitar and his solo, it's just, it just kind of like jerks your shirt collar, but in a very good way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a calling card, you know, like, like I said, when I walked in that wine shop or I was walking through that subway, you hear that. Dun, 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 dun. And immediately it's just like, Boom, magnetic. Yeah. I know what that is. Holy mm -hmm. shit, is that what I think it is? Oh my God. Yeah. Um, it, it, to me, it's like that. Yeah. Uh, the mood. Yeah. But when. I'm so glad when you, you dug it. I hope you dug it. And I'm glad you dug it if you did. No, I did. I absolutely okay, did. Good. Honestly, yeah. Like I'm I'm the guy who's like over here listening to Weather Report by myself and like not talking to anybody <laughs> about it, you know? So I'm with it. I'm with it. It's great. It's great. Um, but, you know, thinking about this song, we talk about how the, it starts kind of slow. It, there's, there's a bit of a drone to it in a good way. And then Pat comes in later on in a very more intense matter. Can you talk a little bit about what your mood is like from those very first notes that you hear all the way until you hear the applause fade out and the song ends? Oh, for me, it's like I said, it's, it, 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 it's sexy. I, not in a sexual way, but it turns me on. It like it, it wakes me up. You know, sure. uh, and, 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 and much of the time I'm listening to this piece, especially in the last few years while writing. So it drones me in. And so mm -hmm. when, when, like, I, I've noticed, I've done it with, there's a lot of other stuff too. This is not just, 
exclusive to this piece, but pieces like this, uh, which is a lot of what I listen to. And when we get to the third song I liked, I think it's very similar, actually, to tell you the truth in progression and how that works, except for replace Pat Metheny with a guy named Jerry. Um, right. But, uh, but um, when I'm writing to these things, and, you know, um, I will notice the writing in my fingers on the keyboard and my characters in their dialogue, everything's speeding up and getting a little bit more exciting when you get to that, like when Pat takes over and he starts right. to get into his thing, like it's, it's, it's channeling through me and coming right out the fingers onto the page. Uh, so it's, it's, it's always like, I'm always start to really pick up the pace of the typing and the scene. And even the, even the, even the moments within the scene I'm writing get a little bit louder and a little bit more dramatic with, in, uh, when I'm being led uh, by by like uh, by a Pat Metheny on this piece or other pieces, uh, that happens all the time. Talking about yeah. my own personal like it, 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 that's why I do, and that's how I choose. What am I going to write this scene to? What am I going to write this chapter to? Um, what what is the best piece of music for this? And then, well, this is about that, and this is going to have to have this, and I'm going to need to do this on this scene, and characters are going to have to, you know, start really fucking shouting at each other and saying some mean motherfucking things to each other. <laughs> what's the perfect piece for that? What what's the perfect piece of music that's going to get me to that point where I'm going to be just channeling that out onto the page? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, I mean, I would say that that that's a process that for me. It's very, very intent and uh, in choosing the music that I listen to. And this is this is a go. This is a major go to has become a huge go to in the last two years, three years again. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. It's it's fascinating how music is fuel in that way and that it it's the thing that can encourage you and, and shape what you do on the other side of things. So yeah. I'm, very, I'm very curious as to what this, you know, the thing you're writing right now and how this has been a, a big influence. I'm very curious as to what those scenes may look like what the dialogue may look like what even you know the environment that you're writing for your characters your story what that environment is like so that's yeah, it's cool. interesting and you know not not to go too deep into it but another subject is uh about what we're talking about is you know something i'm writing right now is about artificial intelligence and it's it's influence on art art and mm. and you know the do we believe that an algorithm, you know, a machine software could actually create art as impactful as a human can? And uh, that's the theme, the broad theme of what I'm writing. And it's just very meta and ironic because what we're talking about is a human's art influencing another human being, practicing their art. Yeah. Uh, can a machine's art do it? Pure machine. Does the inspiration diet at humanity i mean that's that may not be for this discussion but it sure. is what i'm it is what i'm working on yeah. and uh so while i write about art i listen to music and i write and i create you know hopefully what i consider art it's just very very strange and meta when you think about it yeah it is yeah i think i need a second podcast i think we need a podcast <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it's definitely uh it's definitely in the zeitgeist right now yeah know, for for good reason for sure for sure yeah well i feel like we could we could uh do a whole second trip through travels let's yeah let's cruise on to our next song okay oh yeah um this song is off an album called ghost of the great highway is mm. it is the name duke kukim am i pronouncing that right 
Duck Duck Who Kim is the name Duck of the song. Okay. Off of and it's Sun Kill Moon is the name of the band. Okay. Which is Mark Kozilek, one of Mark Kozilek's many bands, probably his biggest band. Uh, he's a he's an artist of the utmost degree. He's he he started out in a band I believe called Red House Painters. He had mm-hmm. another project called Desert Shore. He's a solo artist, and then Sun Kill Moon has been one of his biggest endeavors. Uh, they're prob- probably most well known out of his endeavors. Um, and Ghost of the Great Highway is one of their one of their I think one of their best albums. And then Duck Who Kim is the 14 plus minute track on it, which is incredibly unique. Uh, as I'm sure you found, it's incredibly dark. It's, it's mm-hmm. dirge. It's a lot of dirge, which I like. Um, <laughs> but it's dripping with emotion, and it affected me. It's affected me uh, beyond words in terms of this song. This is, you know, this, when you said that this, you know, when you laid out this, uh, this challenge, find three, my first thought was Duck Who Kim and two more. I'll figure out the other two in a second, but Duck Who Kim wasn't even thought of. Like, yeah, this was, this was guaranteed. And it inspired a whole script that I wrote and a movie that was made out of that script. It was my go-to for uh, this, a script I wrote called Collateral Beauty, which was a, subsequently a movie with Will Smith and Ed Norton um, and Helen Mirren. And uh, it was uh, Duck Koo uh, Kim was a Korean fighter. Well, so Mark Kozilek is a huge boxing fan, huge boxing mm-hmm. fan. And he often writes about boxing matches in his songs and fighters. I mean, they're, they're dripping all over the lyrics of all of his songs is the fight game. He's just yeah. a monster fight game guy. Um, and Duck Who Kim was a fighter and he died in the ring. I think it was in Las Vegas in 1982. I'm not sure you could check. I wrote it in the, in the thing I wrote to you. I, yeah. I had that down to Ray Boom Boom Mancini. He got hit too hard and he died in the ring. Um, mm-hmm. And a part of this song is about that. There's a few stanzas in the song about, about Duck Who Kim dying in the ring. Uh, to Boom Boom Mancini, but most of the song is just this kind of meditation on the vulnerability and the fragility of life. Uh, the lyrics are incredibly powerful, and um, it's a dirge. It's a, it's a it's a sad, melancholy dirge that just that just guts me, just guts me, um, yeah. and always has, and always has. There's just for some reason, it's almost I can't even tell you why this song over other songs, but yeah, this is. And so I listened to this song on a loop while writing Collateral Beauty, which is a very strange little script when I wrote it. It wasn't a big movie when I wrote it. It wasn't meant to be a big movie. It was meant to be a dark little script that I was probably never going to sell, but I, I had to write. Um, you know, a dark, pretty dark story where Will Smith plays someone who lost a child, uh, is searching for answers to the universe. Uh, and uh, this song fueled that script. And that script uh, ended up being a movie, um, which is no small feat. Uh, so um, it's hard to de- it's hard to describe anything more than just to say that there's something otherworldly to me about this song. Mm. Um, and there's just a beauty in it that there's an authenticity and a beauty and a sadness um, to it. I, w- I want to know your take on it. If you had you ever heard this song, most people have not. I haven't. Yeah, I, I haven't. Um, but I felt I felt very, I think for what you're describing, I felt pretty similar to that because I, you know, 
in the preparation for this conversation, I listened to all three songs in order, but with a little bit of pause between to just mentally rinse the palate. Um, It's a lot of my space to kind of decompress, but even going from Pat Metheny's wailing synth guitar, taking three, four, five minutes off and then jumping into this, there still was a bit of an energy and emotion shift that I felt. And I could sense that too. Um, I'm, I'm someone who has a hard time listening to the lyrics because I'm so interested in, instru- in instrumentals. And so I yeah. didn't, I wasn't snatched in by what was being said. I, you know, with what you had written me ahead of time, that was helpful to get a little more context, but um but just the but raw the voice, emotion. Gozelec's voice yes. is almost an instrument in itself in this piece. Yeah, he's he sounds so hurt. That's what I yeah. that's what I felt from the instruments and the voice. I'm like, someone's in pain here. Yeah, the guitar is also incredibly haunting and crunchy, and mm-hmm. he, he I think he's a very very good guitar player in terms of the stylization of. There's an authenticity to it. There is a unique, fresh voice to it. Um, yeah, no, and especially in this piece. And it gets really, really, it's, it's an anthem again. It's another yeah. one of these symphonies. I mean, all three songs they gave you were symphonies to me. And that's no accident. That's what I, you know, if I have to choose my favorites and the things I, you know, I, I'm a fan of the symphony in a way. Yeah. Um, um, and for this piece, and it moves and it has different chapters to it, really different chapters. You could listen to part of this song and another part of this song and not know they're the same song at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, the transitions go into places I don't think you would think they would go. Um, and at times it's discordant, but I think in the right way. Um, and at times it's melodic. Yeah, it is. It's, it's definitely a both and. One thing I'm curious about is thinking what you had said before about how the writer of this song was very interested and loved boxing as a sport. And that influenced him writing this song. And so jumping back to what we talked about before about how art influences art, um, you know, potentially AI influencing art, but just talking about song to song from this person being influenced by boxing, writing the song, Alan Lowe being influenced by the song, writing collateral beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how, how all of a sudden boxing is playing a role in your work? Well, yeah, that was interesting. Right. And I, and I was so touched by this song and I wanted to give it its due that I actually uh, thread it through and brought in Duck Koo Kim and the video of Duck Koo Kim into Collateral Beauty. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it didn't make it into the movie, but it made it into the script. And I wrote you, I showed you the scene. I sent you the scene where it yeah. was. Yeah. And there was, there was, so I was thinking, I want to, I want Duck Koo Kim's the name of the song and the influence of this beautiful song uh, for Mark Kozilek in his, in the box game, the, the fight game. And, especially this one fight where this, this Korean boxer unfortunately died. Yeah. And I'm going to write this movie that has nothing to do with boxing whatsoever, has nothing to do with Mark Kozilek whatsoever, yeah. has nothing to do with music whatsoever. It's about a man who lost his daughter and can't get over it. And him, him coming to a catharsis through a very unique set of circumstances. Um, but I want to, I do want to give a nod to somehow and how do I do that into the story how do I write into the story about this Korean boxer who died in a fight which by the way is dark but also compelling it's like wow there was this thing that happened this guy died in the boxing ring that's a story that's like whoa that's going to get your attention how do I put it in this story modern day New York Will Smith's an advertising executive so I came up with the scene where he moves into this apartment 
And the backstory is he moves into an apartment after his daughter dies. He breaks up with his wife. He's on his own, moves into this apartment in New York, this kind of shitty, whatever, small apartment. And there's nothing in there. There's no furniture in there, except for there's some old films. Like there's old, old, old film canisters. Yeah. And, and, and this guy who does, has lost the motivation to live. He's not even barely showing up to work. He's not talking to his friends. He's really can't get over his daughter's death. He does go out and buy a film projector to, mm. to see what are these fucking, what are these films? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what are these reels of films? And he broadcasts them and he watches them on the wall, the, the white wall of this apartment where he doesn't barely have a bed, maybe a mattress, a few books, whatever. And these films are old fight films. They're just films of old fights. And one of the films is Daku Kim being killed, mm. uh, dying in the fight. And he watches it over and over on a loop. I go, that's creepy. That's eerie. That's specific. That's yeah. cool. Oh, fuck. I'm, that's in there. Yeah. And I put it in there. And then there's a scene where he's uh, reconnecting with his wife. You don't know if she's his wife at the time. But then you realize later on a twist in the movie, that is his ex-wife. And he's reconnecting. He's walking her through his, his dark life since his daughter died and he brings her to this apartment and he shows her the film and there's some dialogue there where he he pauses he pauses the film although i think in the script it wasn't fake film i've ever in, in the script it was changing and didn't end up in the movie welcome right. to hollywood but anyway my original inspiration was he stops the film on the face of the boxer duck cook him right as he's hit with the death blow and he says he knows Something that I, I, you have the dialogue in what I sent you, yes. but it's, he knows just enough. What, what, do you, do you have it in front of you? Because I do. It, I, you can yeah, read the so, line. Cause I love yeah. this line. So uh, Howard says something to Madeline. Madeline says, see what? As Howard just sits there looking deep into Kim's grainy eyes in the screen. Howard says that he's alive just enough to know he's dead. Yeah, it's a good line. Good line. I wrote it. I'll take it. It's a good line. That's um, a good line. A good line. <laughs> so, so just being, the, you know, filmically us being tight on Ducky Kim's face in the moment he just got hit. Yeah. And he's about to die, and he knows it. Yeah. Like in the headlights. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Very human. Very intense. So that was how I was able to somehow take the death of Duff Kim and put it into this modern day fable in New York. Uh, which ended up being a Will Smith movie. Um, but I, I wanted it to be in their script. Um, because it's an acknowledgement to Kozilek and the song that fueled the script. And yeah. Kozilek obviously was, was fueled by the death of Jakku Kim in his, in his arc, uh, being a huge fight fan and maybe saw it live. I don't know. Uh, maybe just it was something that touched him amongst many other things in the fight game because so many of his songs are littered with uh, references to fighters and fights, yeah. great fights. And I love that. That's so cool. Like, yeah. that's so cool lyrically. Um, fuck, man. Red House Painters, Kozlak's first band, three or four albums. Oh, my yeah. God. Song for a Blue Guitar, Ghost of the Great Highway, Sun Kill Moon. The Desert Shore work is great. Uh, but uh, then Kozlak Live. There is a Kozlak, because he does solo stuff live, Lost Verses. Lost Verses is the name of the live album he cut. If you're into this stuff, this is singer-songwriter. It may, it may, it may get you close to suicide. Um, it's <laughs> dark shit, sad shit. It's dirge, man. And half yeah. my friends, 70% of my friends when I'm playing my music say, dude, you got to turn this up. 
this is like, I want to now jump out the window. And I'm like, mm. okay, you're not feeling it. I get it. But this yeah. is what I live for. I live for it. This fuels me. It fuels my art. It fuels my daily life. I, yeah. I don't find it sad. I find it human. Um, and uh, Kozlak is up there for me. I mean, he's just, in terms of the singer-songwriters, the lyrics, the music, the vibe, all of it. So Lost Verses, I would suggest, recommend strongly. And then the Red House Painter's Song for a Blue Guitar. Any of the Red House Painter stuff. Any of the Red House Painter stuff. And then some Sun Kill Moon goes to the Great Highway. Unfortunately, I feel like the last four or five years of Sun Kill Moon's gone a little bit off the track. He's gone so dark, I can't even listen to it. And it's okay. gotten, yeah, the last three or four Sun Kill Moon albums aren't working for me. And I hate mm. to say that because I'm such a huge fan. And I would hate for, you know, for whatever reason, if Marcos like saw this podcast, I, I'm sure it would be very offensive to him. And I am sorry about that. But I, don't love the last like four or five, but uh, song from April, April, something April in the title. I forget this name. That's a great album. And you could, you could pull it up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. April, something April in the album. And then, Oh, something Ohio in the album. A oh, fucking great. I mean, they're it's, fucking a plus. Yeah. It's just called April. There's no other April, words to it. And then something Ohio. Is there something? So uh, oh, an album, Sun Kill Moon with an album with Ohio in the title the state of Ohio, where Cold Black is from. He's from Ohio. Let's see. Ghost of the Great Highway, which is where Daku Kim is off. Lost versus the live one. I also and want then, to die uh, in New Orleans. That's about New that, Orleans. Yeah, that shit's work is really too dark for me. There's a lot of references to locations. Have you noticed that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and he lives in, or he lived for a long time. He was from Ohio, and there's one album he did I have to tell you about. And the people that watch and listen to this podcast obviously, you know, hopefully will take some recommendations from it, right? Like that's a big part of this, right? I hope, obviously. I hope. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's from Ohio originally, but he lived in Martinez, California, and he writes about it all the time, which is outside of San Francisco. Um, okay. And he has a house in Tahoe, and he writes about that all the time. That's how I know these things, mm-hmm. is just from his song. He did an experimental album. I'm going to get all the names wrong right now with Jimmy Levine from Album Leaf, a band called The Album Leaf. Have you ever heard of Album Leaf? No. And it's called uh, Songs from the Sea, Pearls from the Sea. I wish I got these things right. I'm going to, I got to look it up. I'm sorry. I have to. Go for it. I have to. uh, 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 Pearls from the Sea. Wait. This is worth checking out too. This is really. Oh, here it is. Jimmy Lavelle. I'm sorry. Mark Kozalak. And Jimmy Lavelle, L-A-V-A-L-L-E, he is from a band called The Album Leap, who I love. They're fantastic, and they're instrumental. I think uh, your fiance, I've given her some Album Leap uh, uh, recommendations. Okay. Um, and it's called Pearls from the Sea, 2013. Pearls from the Sea, Kozilek and Jimmy Lavelle. This thing is gold. Gold. Nice. It's a beautiful album from start to finish. Every track. Are you looking it up? Did you get it up? I'm on the album leaf looking through all of their... It's uh, Pearls from the Sea. Pearls from, Pearls from the Sea. P-E-R-I-L-S. Pearls Peril. from the Sea. I like that Pearls more. from the Sea. Pearls from the Sea. Uh, Kozilak and Jimmy LaVale. Got it. If Got you it. could get that up. Do you have it up? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That album. So when you're talking about Kozilak's body of work, 
Lost Versus Solo album live and a few others. And then, of course, all his Red House Painters work. And then April. And, of course, um, and he did an album, Red House Painters of All Covers. And the covers are incredible because they're not what you would think. Uh, Shock Me, which uh, I think it's a Kiss song. Um, AC, there was ACDC on that. When he covers them slow and yeah. just similar to what you heard him do, everything yeah. slowed down and made into kind of a dirge. But uh, there's a Kiss song on that album. There's a fun, and that one is, I think, called Shock Me. I think that's called Shock Me, Red House Painters. Anyways, yeah. Um, it's not for everyone. It's very specific. It's very um, unique, and yeah. it's not for everyone. For sure. And it's like I said before, it's, it's a taste thing. You know, like I, I, I had my own run in by bad mouthing a friend's taste in music a week or so ago. And after I was done talking <laughs> with him, I was like, damn it. Like, I know better than that. Cause everybody has their own taste. Everyone likes what they like. You know, some people are born with that gene where they think cilantro tastes like soap. I don't have that. I, I love <laughs> right. cilantro. I love cilantro. Sure. But some people, it's not for them. And, it, and I think it's the same thing for music. And so that's the thing I'm working on is making sure a little more acceptance, but it sounds like with some of your friends, sometimes Marcos like yeah, I have, a, I have little, a, a little too much for your friends' palates. Yeah, although I think I turned your father-in-law to be onto him. Your father-in-law really? is a fan. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me. Yeah, Ira. Ira's a fan. I okay. turned Ira on. To, I, I believe I, I got Ira into Kozlak about 10, 15 years ago. Nice. Okay. You can ask yeah. him about it. I will. I will. That's cool. It sounds like you're the you're the evangelist of music within the family. To an extent, I mean, to an extent, yeah. I, 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 you know, I mean, we have all, all obviously have all very different tastes, but sure. I'm, 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 my shit is singer songwriter lyrics, uh, with, uh, and then jam bands and symphonic things. And, and there is jazz and classical in my composition, yeah. uh, in, in my repertoire, of my, my playlist, but my, I have this one Spotify playlist that's about six, 700 songs. And that's kind of everything that I'm into. Yeah. Amazing. I'm looking up one song that I'm going to send you later on. I, um, Radiohead, a song called weird fishes. You know that song? Okay. No, I don't think I do. And I like Radiohead a lot. I, I had a feeling you would. I had a feeling you would. Jordan has brought them up to me. She knows this song well. Ira knows this song well. But I was on my Discover Weekly on, on Spotify or something like that. It was a curated playlist by Spotify. They pulled up a symphonic rendition of Weird Fishes by the Nordpool Orchestra. And I had never even heard Weird Fishes in its original form. And so I heard this first. And it was one of those songs. It's 8 minutes, 13 seconds. I'm looking at it now. I'll send it to you later. Oh, but I'm... But this yeah. is this is one that I just drove the wheels off. It was so good, so good. So, so yeah, I I'll share that. Love with you. to hear that. I would love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it hit the spot for like a week straight. A week straight. I loved it. I um, would. I would. I would end on Doug Koo Kim just saying to everyone, don't be upset or surprised if it is if it's not for you. If yeah. it's if it's if it's just too weird or dark or not hitting. But I think for certain people who are just like you said, cilantro doesn't taste like soap. For those people, it's, it, it can be an extremely, extremely powerful song. Yeah. And especially in the, you know, sometimes if it's used in the right context. So for you using it in writing, in writing a very sad and powerful and intense story that's incredibly yeah. authentic and raw about a guy reeling from the daughter or the death of his daughter. Like what's yeah, more, right. like this is perfectly fit for that, for that piece. So so yeah, 
so fascinating but let's uh let's cruise on let's get to our next one here last song this one will be from a band that people may have heard of yeah yeah so commercially <laughs> people people probably know this these folks uh the grateful dead and so yeah. you shared with me in the, some of the text that you'd written up the grateful dead have performed over 2300 live shows and your feelings and it sounds like the greater grateful dead community may 8th 1977 at cornell college or university the people at cornell, the, cornell university barton hall Got it. Barton, Barton Hall. Hall in Ithaca, New York, upstate New York. That's right. Morning Dew. Oh, yeah. If if you know, you know. If you're a deadhead, you know. If you're not, if you never like the dead, you probably won't like this either. But right. um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, where to start? First of all, I'm a deadhead. I went to 204 shows, uh, dead shows in the late 80s, early 90s. So I toured with the band. I was a deadhead. I was on tour. I, uh, you know, I, I smoked pot in the parking lot camped out and did the whole thing. You were um, in it. You were in it. I was said in it over, for years. Over, over 200 shows within... Over 200 shows over about six or seven years. Yeah, starting in 86, 87, going to about 94. Yeah, yeah, a lot. I, I didn't really go to college. I mean, I I, I guess, you know, unfortunately, Henry and Elsie, uh, you know, your, your grandparents' in-laws... Um, right, right. Uh, paid for me to go to Ithaca College, but I really didn't fucking go. I just, <laughs> I just, I just toured around the country and followed the dead around with my ragtag group of friends, uh, and um, and everybody knew it. They knew it too. I just that, sure. that, that was my life, man. And uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was it was eye opening. It was it was seminal to me. Uh, but the music, the dead people, people when people think about the Grateful Dead, they think about the parking lot scene. The, the the decades and decades of the, the enduring and touring and and you know just having a very 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 dedicated fan base and being a band for 40 30 40 plus years um that's yeah. that's unique uh jerry garcia you know his unique guitar playing all of that that's what they think about the drugs the hallucinogenics uh the counterculture the hippie movement san francisco mm-hmm. what they don't think of enough is these guys in this band. Now, 40 years, there's ups and downs. Okay. There's ups and downs. But when they were at their best, they were an unbelievably talented band. The music was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. It was all genres. I mean, in terms of those, it was bluegrass. It was jazz. It was psychedelic. It was it was traditional. It was yeah. folk. They moved from genre to genre. And one dead show, you would hit four or five genres of music, and they would crush it all. Now, there were years. There were five, six years where they weren't on their game. Jerry's voice sucked because he was, you know, diabetic, coma, drug addict, and heroin addict. I mean, this isn't clean. Yeah. But this band, and I just want to tell people, if they don't know a lot about it or if they're just a fan of the dead, but they're not really familiar, watch the four hour documentary on Amazon. Cause what you'll notice most is how good the music is, how good the music is. Cause yeah. when they were doing their shit and in the beginning with pig pen, that blues, they were a blues band and they were a fucking good blues band. The love light, when they would play love light in 1968, Fillmore light, love light, that shit. I, 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 it's just, you listen to that. And if you don't say, and if you say to someone, this wasn't, 
the Grateful Dead. This is just a band. They'd be like, this is blues at its best. This is A plus. Like yeah. A plus blues. I mean, so the, the quality of the band, the quality of the music, the talent in that band is never, never spoken enough because of all, all the other, all the other, you know, um, exterior things. Yeah. Uh, with, with the confection of it is what gets the headlines. Anyways, that's just a bit on the dead. Um, and that four-hour Amazon doc is really good. It's really compelling. Um, but anyways, Morning Dew is a bit of a different song. It's again a dirge. It's again a symphony. It starts out very slow. It's about nuclear war. Um, it's about nuclear aftermath. It's sad. It's, it's not, you don't dance to it. Um, so, but, and so, in many, and it's a beautiful song in many ways, but there was one, you know, when, when, when Morning Dew was also, I'm going to say, and a few of Deadheads that watch this, you know, if they want to agree with me, confirm this, great. If they want to argue this, great. It's a good discussion, but I would say it was the quintessential Jerry Garcia song. The Dead had two types of songs. Well, three, but two mainly. The Bob Weir songs and the Jerry Garcia songs. Mm-hmm. There were like one or two Phil Lesh songs. But there were Jerry songs and Bob songs. And the way you would know what's a Jerry song is Jerry sang it. And yeah. what was a Bob song? Bob sang it. And Bob songs were written primarily by John Barlow. And Jerry songs were written by Robert Hunter. Now, this mm-hmm. is a cover, which people don't realize. Morning Dew's a cover. And I gave you a little bit of the history and the thing I wrote to you. Um, but then Jerry songs are slower. Bobby songs are a little bit more Southwestern. They're a little bit more twangy there's slide guitar in bobby's songs you dance mm-hmm. to bobby's songs now you can dance to some jerry songs too but then jerry's songs also were the ballads for the most yes. part now bobby had some ballads too but jerry's songs the quintessential jerry songs of the dead were the ballads um and i would think morning dew would probably be the quintessential jerry song i think if you really mm-hmm. had, if you did a poll of hardcore dead sense you had to choose one song that's the jerry song i think morning dew wins and it's a beautiful, because when he was singing, uh, when he had his voice, which he didn't always, in 1977, he did. And that's one of the reasons why the Barton Hall yeah. Morning Dew uh, is so special. When he had his voice, um, and he would hit these notes on Morning Dew, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, just it's, it's heartbreaking, and it's beautiful, and it's melodic. And then his guitar, his guitar, and his, his, his yeah. solos, his solos. They similar to it's very similar to Matheny since in uh, Are You Going With Me? It, it announces itself <laughs> a little late and then it just starts to take you and you're going with it and you're like, okay, all right, yeah, I'm with you. This is cool. I'm with you. Oh, okay, you're you're picking up a little speed. That's cool. And then in about eight minutes, you're like, what the fuck did you just do to me <laughs> and to the universe? Like, what the fuck did just happen? <laughs> Because you took something slow and kind of cool and mellow and you turned it into an explosion. Yeah. A symphonic, sonic explosion. And I don't think it's ever been done better live for this band than in 1977, Barton Hall's Morning Dew. Now you heard it. Tell me your thoughts on on, on that solo and the second solo. I mean yeah. it was very it was very fun. It was very cool. And like I like I was telling you before we before I clicked record and we kicked off this this conversation, a different guest and a, a good friend of mine also chose Morning Dew, but from Europe 1972. And sure. so I only did uh I listened to this version at Barton Hall and then I listened to Europe 72 just once each because I wanted to pick up some subtle differences if, if I could, but I need more listens to be able to like dial in those differences. 
But I will say with this Barton Hall version, it felt it was just so much more, you know, like you said, it's kind of a, a ballad. It's kind of slow. Um, it, it has a swell to it where it doesn't start very intense. I still I still felt and noticed that there was a subtle intensity to it from the start and that it's almost felt like the band was just locked in a little more and everything oh. was just a little bit tighter, <laughs> but tighter in the sense of musicianship and not tight in the sense of emotional tension for themselves. It felt so open and flowing and light at the same time, but powerful, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, a few things um, on that. First of all, what the dead were great at and what they do unbelievably well. And what's really showcased in this uh, morning do in Barton Hall is they, they, it's almost like raising a child, which I have no children. So I have no right to speak on this, but in terms of independence, independence, in terms of they walk musically, they walk away from each other and they go yeah. do their own thing. Mm -hmm. And then they come back together. And when they click, when they come back together, it's a locomotive. It's a locomotive train. And then they go away from each other. And then it's a little bit, it's, it's call and response. It's a little bit, I'm over here doing my thing. No, they're all on acid all the time. So you have to understand they are, they are on their journey. Yeah. Um, they're all, they're, they're all kind of, and, and so the, the, the instruments just go away from each other and there's this, and you're getting it, you're liking it. It's good. Yeah. But then it starts, to, they start to get closer and closer, closer, then boom. And then it's like, whoa, it's just such an awakening. And yeah. it's such a unique thing. Now, obviously in jazz, often that's very common with jazz. And that's common with other jam bands. The Elman Brothers did that, obviously, Fish and like that type of jam band thing. It's not that common in all of music, though. Right. Most of music is a band in sync going together on the same wavelength. Mm -hmm. What the Dead did better than anyone else, and maybe, I'm not going to say they invented it because jazz pretty much invented this, is each Oops. individual musician and music goes off on its own, is within a theme, but really, really on its own, and then finds each other and locks in. And the dead do it three or four times per song when they're live. And um, this Morning Dew is a beautiful, gorgeous example of when that's done right, how it's just like, it's magic. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it's so impressive. Yes, it is. And I had a friend in college named Ken Keegan, who I haven't spoke to for years. Um, maybe, he'll, maybe he'll watch this podcast, listen to this podcast. And he was a huge music guy and I was a deadhead. And he never, he never, like, he always gave me shit. Like, you know, they're old and they're, you know, I don't get it. And, yeah. and Jerry, Jerry's got a shitty voice and he barely can sing. And, and, you know, he wasn't wrong about a few of those things. And then I, I played him that 1977 Morning Dew. I, and then we smoked a joint in, I, in our dorm room. And I played him that. And then right at the end, he looks at me and goes, dude, I get it. I get it. Like, it was just, yeah. he wasn't a deadhead. He wasn't a... He wasn't going on tour the next day, but he just gave me this look of respect. And he goes, okay, okay. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Like, yeah. and, and so for you, for you and the friendship that you have with him, how, did that change your friendship in any way? Did you have a level of like satisfaction or feeling like, yeah, yes, I, think so. I got him. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it was too undeniable for me and he had to even admit it. Um, yeah. yeah, it yeah. Look, the dead aren't for everybody, but man, they were for a lot of people. I mean, this is, this is, you can't argue the success and popularity of this band, and there's a reason and longevity. Um, but yeah. Martin Hall is known as the best concert, and there's many arguments why. They say there was a certain brand of acid they were on that whole tour, that whole spring tour. Yeah. The other shows around Barton Hall, Boston Garden, Buffalo Civic Arena, Pembroke Pines, Florida, all those shows 
in May, late April and May of 1977 are all of that level. They're all mm. very good. Yeah. So they just, that was their best stretch as a band. And we're talking 40 years as a band. So yeah. and that is, that was, I think their best stretch is May, uh, spring of 1977, that tour, all those live shows are phenomenal. They sound like Jerry had his voice. It was where Jerry's voice was at its best. And yeah. I mean, in that morning, dude, he's singing, he's belting and, and it's good. It's not, you know, for many years, <laughs> he went into a diabetic coma in 1987. He came out of that diabetic coma. So in 88, his voice was shot. And that, that affects the live shows. It's just hard, unless you really, really love the band, to totally appreciate a band where the lead singer doesn't have a good voice. Like, yeah. it's just, it's struggling out there. Sounds like a dead cat sometimes. Um, never to shit on Jerry. Um, but uh, so in 1977, Jerry had his voice. And yeah. uh, the band was, was just connected in a way they, they, they never could get again. That was just, it was, it was next level. Yeah. Yeah. How old were you in 77? Uh, eight, eight years old. What was eight year old Alan doing? Oh man. Getting in trouble. You can ask, you can ask uh, Jordan's grandfather um, <laughs> or you can ask your mother-in-law, your mother-in-law to be. Uh, right. Right. She, uh, but she took care of me. She she protected me. Um, I was just a fucked up kid. I don't know. I was a messed up kid. <laughs> I, I got in trouble all the time. I got kicked out of camps. I got kicked out of schools. I was a disaster. I mean, the fact yeah. that my parents ended up, you know, the fact that, you know, they ended up going to a bunch of my movie premieres and seeing that I'm not a complete, like, broke drug addict must be shocking to them. But how, how the fuck that happened? Nobody knows. Trust me. Um, it's it's all a part okay. of it. I'm doing okay. Yeah, I, I'm far from perfect, but I'm doing I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Yeah, I mean that's all anybody's <laughs> doing, right? Like we're always striving for something. We're always trying to live and survive. Even the people that feel like they have everything, there's always something that's not quite right. And so oh, we we do sure. the best that we can with what we got, and we just get up the next day and do the same damn thing all over all over again. Yeah, so. but eight year old Alan was a wild kid. A lot yeah. of a lot of a lot of ADHD. Yeah, that can make it tough. That make yeah. there are, there are moments where I've in the last like six to twelve months where I've thought about that for myself as a young kid too because I was hyperactive. I could never sit still. I was always goofing off. Um, ADHD? Just, no, ADD, ADHD, maybe. I think I never was tested. I never, you know, could have been undiagnosed. You know, who's to say? Um, you know, I can I can hold a job. I have a job, so <laughs> I'm, I'm content. <laughs> I'm here. I'm alive, but yeah. Um, but yeah, you're marrying a you're marrying a wonderful woman. That I am. That I yeah. am. Yeah, yeah. Ecstatic for that. Also, I'll mention <laughs> ecstatic. But so thinking about, I want to uh, do a comparison to these three songs. And I and before I even say how we're comparing, you're probably like, what the hell? How do we compare these three because of the musicianship and other different, just the quality and echelon of of the people themselves and different paths. But thinking about your work as a writer, these first two songs getting into your brain, oozing out your arms through your fingers onto the keyboard, you're typing, you're writing. Yeah. Has, has Morning Dew done the same for you like the other two have? Oh, like I listen, I can throw on Morning Dew and, and, and write a little bit and have some some good fuel. But okay. Morning Dew for me is like a bike ride, a long walk. Okay. Driving, you know. Yeah. For whatever reason, that's that's fueling life. 
where Sun Kil Moon, Duck Kukin fuels art. Yeah. And are you going with me fuels, you know, fuels some nights in the bedroom. Yeah, um, physical art. We'll call it physical art. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> so, uh, and are you going with me fuels everything too. Um, but definitely, but yeah, no, I would say that Morning Dew or even listening to the dead. I, you know, my playlist at the gym is a lot of Grateful Dead. Mm. More of the faster songs than Morning Dew. Like, you know, I work out to like a very fast Casey Jones. That's good shit, man. I mean, that's yeah. like a good Casey Jones or Truckin' or, you know, I mean, there's there's a few, you know. A good jammy, fast Grateful Dead song is great to work out to and yeah. uh, drive to, ride a bike to, walk to. But in terms of when I'm writing, I go to the more emotive stuff, which, uh, and not that the Morning Dew isn't emotive, because it is. They're probably <laughs> one of their most emotive songs. But, you know, I mean, all uh, Duck Who Kim is is emotive. It's only emotive. Right. No one's dancing to that fucking song. Um, and Are You Going With Me is everything. Are you going with me? You could work out. To. You could lift weight. To. Without but it's a doubt. Also, but it's also a motive. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, are you going with me is everything. Morning Dew or is the, the great live Grateful Dead for the most part is just, let's enjoy life. Let's go for a walk. Let's, we're driving on an open road. Let's listen to that shit. Um, and then Daku Kim is pure love. Like, I'm going to write. I have to write this scene. I'm throwing this baby on. Um, or I'm in a bad mood or I need to work out some things. I'm going to go for a, a walk and do some serious thinking. I'm going to throw on some Marco's leg. Um, right. that's, that's kind of how they're different and how they feel my life. Yeah. Yeah. Just different brands, different, different uses. Which Absolutely. I think is, yeah. It's amazing. And it just, and it's nice, you know, in, in what you had written up for me, I think it would be the first song. Are you going with me? You referred it to it as an old friend. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I've got a lot of those. Um, I mean, I could do, we could do a whole podcast on, on the old friends, you know? Yeah. Uh, cat, uh, I, I, when I'm thinking of childhood, I'll just throw a few at you. Cat Stevens, um, fucking David Bowie's honky dory. Mm. Crosby stills and Nash is so far. Yeah. I mean, that to me was the, I grew up on that album. Um, Pat Metheny's travels. I grew up on that album. Um, there's a few more, but those are some main ones. Those are all the Simon and Garfunkel, man. I grew up on a concert in Central Park. I grew up on Scarlet, uh, Scar- Scarborough Fair. Rose- Scarborough Fair, Rosemary Time, um, Parsley Sage, Rosemary and Time. Yep. yep. Um, just grew up on them. I mean, that's my whole childhood. And I still listen to all that. I mean, I, I, I don't not listen to them anymore. I listen to them at all. Uh, yeah. You know, I think CSNY, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, so far, that is that that has got to go down as one of the most, uh, I think, iconic albums ever. Yeah, I've got work to do because a lot of the a lot of the <laughs> folks you just mentioned are stuff that I actually was raised on too by my mom because, <clears throat> and she's I think six, seven, eight years older than you. She was born in '62. But the stuff she was playing at home were also Cat Stevens, Carol King, Carly yeah. Simon, Simon and Garfunkel, but then also a lot of funk and soul. So I'm <clears throat> also imbued with James Brown and the Isley Brothers and Earth, Wind and Fire and just so many more folks in different in different yeah. sides. And I can remember you know, listening to Simon and Garfunkel, for instance, you had mentioned them, you know, um, Diamond on the Soles of Her Shoes, You Can Call Me Al, The Boy in the Bubble, yeah. all these different songs. And I mean, Graceland specifically, that's that needs its own podcast episode because of how different it was and 
Paul Simon doing his own thing in South Africa and making music with African artists that haven't seen the outside of Africa before and Lukiti Kamalo. So, yep, yep. There yeah. is a Paul Simon, there is a, and I got to get it for you because it's very important. There is a Paul Simon live album. Hold on, <laughs> I'm going to pull it up here because it's worth, it's worth it. Um, Paul Simon live album where he does a show with a gospel choir. And it is incredible. It is, here it is. Paul Simon in concert, live rhyming. Rhyming, R-H-Y-M-I-N apostrophe. Live rhyming, R-H-Y-M-I-N apostrophe does the whole concert with the gospel choir, nineteen seventy four and Jesse Dixon singers. That's the name of the gospel choir with yeah. Jesse Dixon singers. Every song is with them. And and it's all the classics. America loves me like a rock bridge over troubled water, homeward bound, the boxer. I mean Kodachrome, all the classics. Yeah. Kodachrome and you gotta hear it. You gotta listen to this album. Nice. I will. It's, I will. It's strong. It's very good. Yeah, because I've, I've typically only ever listened to his studio stuff, so I'm very curious about a live show. Yeah, so this, this no, is no. Great. and this was 1974, so this was really, really, really back in the day for him. Yeah. Was this probably right about when he was stepping out of the... I think st- it was probably near the end of him and Garfunkel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that checks out. It's, nice. it's, it's This album, dude, check it out. But cool, we're kind of, kind of coming up on time. Um, the main prompt that I have for you two-parter is there anything that you're currently excited about and do you have any words of wisdom that you want to share to listeners of this podcast yeah i'm writing my first novel right now and like i said it has this kind of backbone concept of ai and art and the relationship of artificial intelligence and human art which i think is incredibly timely um you know it's where where as artists right now in every realm of art we're all having an existential moment of saying, okay, well, this is cool. I can use it to help my art, yeah. but is it going to replace my art? You know, what happens if, if the algorithms make whatever we do better than we do? And, and that's pretty terrifying. It makes me think about robots on the assembly line at the, at like the Ford Motor Company. You know, when we started, first started introducing robots that ended up replacing some people in their jobs. Well, yeah, yeah automation... Everybody assumed automation would replace, you know, blue collar factory work and whatnot. But no one I ever, I think, in, until recently, ever thought it would replace novelists, playwrights, uh, musicians, comp- yeah. uh, classical music composers, uh, screenwriters. And now we're faced with the possibility of that actually being a reality. So I'm writing this novel that, that really goes down that road uh, from the point of view of a screenwriter. So it's a little bit autobiographical. Sure. Um, Sure. It's not about me, but it's about my, my, what I do for a living and, and the, the world in which I live and work, which is Hollywood. Um, so I'm, it's my first novel, and I'm finishing that soon, hopefully. I've been fighting, powering through that as my, as my film career is on hold because I'm on strike. Uh, the WGA is on strike and has been for a few months. So I, I said, okay, I'm going to write this novel now. I've been wanting to you know, experiment and, and, and stretch myself and see how this, uh, how this turns out. And if I can do it. And so I'm in that process and it's really, really rewarding. And it's been really nice. It's been a blessing. I've been excited and I'll be done at some point. 
and we'll yeah. see if it goes anywhere, if there's any value to it. Um, so that's really what I'm most excited about. This is I am listening to Tapatini's Travels a shitload while writing this, uh, nice. believe it or not. Nice. Um, it's one of the main, main music choices. Uh, old Pat Metheny too, and uh, and a bunch of other things. Um, I'll give you another one. I'm just throwing them out, but another one I write to or not is a electronic artist, uh, musician named Nils Fromm. Are you familiar with Nils Fromm? N i l s last name F R A H M. Check them out. It's uh, it's instrumental. It's not lyrical, and uh, I've been listening to a lot of Nils Fromm while writing this novel especially Tripping with Nils, which is a live album called mm. Tripping with Nils. And that thing is strong. Nice. Strong. I will recommend that strongly too. Um, and then, uh, so that's kind of what's exciting me these days. And then um, the other question is, uh, what well, was what? What was the last any, question? Any, any words of wisdom you want to share to people that listen to a podcast like this or, um, or, even, just, or even just in general? Any, any Alan Loeb words of wisdom? Well, kind of like I'm saying about this novel is, is, you know, I'm doing something to do it and to see what, where it goes. I have no idea if it goes anywhere, but uh, creative, the creative calling has said to me, do this. And, you know, I do, I, I, like everybody else, I have that other voice in my head that says, well, why would I do that? What if it doesn't work? Am I going to look stupid? It's just going to suck. Um, you don't write novels, you write movies. And, and, and people who write novels, they're really smart. Right? You're just a movie writer. Come on, man. Like, don't do that. Like, don't embarrass yourself or whatever it is. There's going to be a lot of work and it's probably going to suck. And really? And right. just telling that voice to shut the fuck up and get to work is my advice. <laughs> Always. You Love know? it. Yes. <laughs> yes. You can feed the good wolf. You can feed the bad wolf. Whichever one you feed will feed win. Feed the good wolf. Feed the good wolf. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Nice. Awesome. I think that's that's perfect. Nothing else needs to be said. All right, Penny. Penny, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I love this, Alan. This was fun. Just just the exercise <laughs> hearing this stuff, but just getting to know you more, where you're coming from, and also the stuff that makes you you and how you go about your work. I'm very I was very curious about that. So this was fun to learn on my side. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. And I hope uh, I hope your audience uh, digs some of these musical selections. I really do. I think they will. I think they will. All right. We'll speak soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Alan.